Welcome to Dreamers and Unicorns, brought to you by People Strong. Hey, Ginny, who do we have today? Well, Abhijit, today our guest is Joshua Karthik, co-founder of Stories by Joseph Radik, the popular wedding photography brand. And you can talk to him about how to prepare to be a gig worker. Okay, great. Let us start the show. We have seen three waves in the world of work. Phase one was all about lifetime employment with one employer. Entrepreneurship was perhaps the second phase. And now we are actually entering a new phase where freelance work or gig work is really becoming the fastest area of growth. Hi, I'm Abhijit Bhaduri. I work with organizations to transform their leadership teams, talent strategy and culture. In the studio today is Joshua Karthik, and together we will explore exactly what do you need to know one day before you quit your job and become a gig worker. Hey, Joshua, welcome to the show. So when people, you know, think about quitting their jobs for gig work, they always think that, you know, it gives them freedom from a lousy boss, a terrible commute, uh, office politics. That's a big one. And of course, you know, you can work on your own time. You can take vacations whenever you want. You can uh, wake up on a Monday morning and say, nah, today is like a good day. <laughs> the weather is awesome and just go back to sleep. Sounds amazing. But is, is that even true? Uh, that's a great question. Um, I remember the first, the, the day I quit, actually, uh, I'd actually gone to a house party uh, that evening. And the minute I told them that I quit, everyone was so happy for me. They said, that's it. This is the end of all of these ills that plague society and civilization. I said, okay, that's amazing. So let me try and figure out how this works. So seven years in, um, into this journey of being uh, independent, uh, two big positives stand out for me. The first mm -hmm. one being, uh, I think, for all those people out there who believe that uh, uh, their choices had been made for them, whether it is uh, schooling, college, uh, you were an engineer because others told you to be or uh, you went to a certain school or you went to a certain job because uh, decisions flowed a certain way. I think uh, uh, quitting your job for gig work to be independent is truly one of those uh, adult decisions that you get to take in life, that you truly get to own. And I think there's a certain wow. uh, satisfaction <laughs> in that. Yeah, First adult decision. Yeah, 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 it is. I think uh, for a lot of people it is. Uh, for mm -hmm. the kind of um, entrepreneurs that I talk to on a daily basis, I find that it is one of the strong decisions that they've taken. And uh, there is a, a sense of satisfaction in that to, to believe that you've made this choice uh, for yourself. And I think it changes the game. It changes the way you look at the world. Sure. The second big one, as, an, uh, as uh, you asked me for an advantage, you asked me, whether this is truly freedom. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was in a conversation with a client a few years ago. And uh, she says to me on the phone, uh, you know, I'm stuck at a desk job. And uh, what I envy about your life is that you get to see sunlight. And that's when I realized that uh, in my nine to six job or nine to seven job, even if I were to see a sunset through my uh, window from the corner office, it's not the same as actually being able to get out there see the sun on a daily basis in different parts of the world. And uh, if there's one massive advantage that I've taken away from these seven years, it is this, to actually be out there and to truly live in the world. It's not even as much about traveling to interesting places, mm -hmm. but to just be able to feel the sunlight and to actually be able to see as many sunsets as you want to. Once you experience it, I don't think you want to go back. Yeah, you know, um, uh, one of the first things that struck me when I met you for the first time and, um, you know, uh, Joshua was this guy, young kid who was getting an award uh, 
from XLRI, our alma mater. And I kind of said that, wow, what a cool life this guy has. Because I was working at that point of time. And I said, man, that sounds like a lot of fun. Um, but what I also realize is, you worked for a couple of years. You were working with Asian Paints, I think. And then you decided to switch. Um, but if I remember, you were doing pretty well. So then why would you quit? Why not just continue, get your next promotion, be the big guy? Yeah. Why not? The prevailing... Uh uh, logic seems to be that uh, your impetus for quitting, your reason for actually leaving something should be that something's actually gone wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I've heard all the excuses. Uh, I've participated in several of these uh, chai pe chacha kind of sessions where like, what's the reason for quitting? Uh, why would you quit today? Uh, why shouldn't I quit today? Mm -hmm. So the number of reasons that uh, I can come up with off the bat, uh, starting with your current job, your current role, your current boss, your previous boss, <laughs> the comparison between your current boss and your previous boss. And why somebody else got that promotion and not oh, me. Oh, yes. That's I mean, a big one. Every right? year when the promotion cycle time comes around, uh, so that uh, increment, your appraisal, there's a whole bunch of reasons why you should quit on a bad day. Uh, but I found uh, serious value in, in a contra opinion, which is to actually quit when you're on a high. Because uh, when you're on a high, when things are actually going well for you, uh, you're in a much better state of mind to appreciate what's out there. Uh, as it is to quit and to start something new is challenging in and of itself. Uh, if you layer that on with uh, trying to quit when you're down, I think you're just trying to crank up the uh, difficulty to 11, right? Mm. Um, so I found a lot of value in, in this sort of thinking. So when I quit Asian Paints after eight years, I was having the time of my life. Perfect job, perfect role, amazing bosses. Uh, what a team, right? Uh, but to quit then, in hindsight, was a great decision because I could quit with no regrets. Uh, uh, I could quit with the idea that nothing's going wrong. So I could take this positive energy and uh, reinvest it in something absolutely scary. And we've continued to do that. Uh, Joseph, my brother, and I uh, at Stories, every time we do something really well, we have a great year. The question is, what are we going to start next? Uh, rather than to actually wait for a down year to say, oh no, we need to shore up finances or we need to earn a little bit more money. Therefore, we need to do this as a response. So I think this sort of a contra uh, uh, thinking has truly helped to quit on a high. The second is, uh, it's important to make an informed, independent choice uh, about quitting or to begin something, which is independent of all these other things in your life. Mm -hmm. uh, and what I mean by that is, if the only reason for you to quit or the only reason for you to start your company was because something bad happened, right. I don't think that's the energy that you want to truly take into the next 5 to 10 to 15 years of your life. Right. right? You truly want to start something because you believe in it. You, start, you want to start something because you believe that this is the day. The, the, it cannot wait any longer. Uh, and I must invest so many years into this starting now. So don't walk away from something, walk towards something. Perfectly yeah, put, yeah, perfectly yeah. put, right? So uh, what is truly the motivation for starting this? I would really question that. Because these things come back to uh, either bite you or to, you know, propel you further. Right. Many years down the road. Yeah. I think that's very true. Yeah. You know, when, when I think about uh, the time when I decided to quit, it was... Uh, that I had already uh, been working for a couple of years. And, uh, you know, I think what helped me was that I had already done two things which, in hindsight, helped me a lot. One is that I had uh, uh, written four books. And the last work that I did, The Digital Tsunami, gave me a feeling that this could well be uh, the opportunity for me to contribute to organizations as a independent freelancer. So in some sense, 
I actually had been a part-time gig worker. I think uh, your career progression, when I look at it, um, it gives the other uh, uh, possible model uh, for the question that you asked me. Uh, mm-hmm. That is, you know, you had experience, you were working, and you quit. Did you quit on a high or did you quit on a down uh, year? Uh, what you show me and what you've done is uh, you've shown that part-time actually beats full-time in a lot of cases. That is, you use uh, part-time experience while keeping a full-time job to use your time effectively to figure out whether uh, you're good at this, to figure out whether you can actually get better at this, to actually figure out whether there's clients, uh, whether there's money that could be made, whether you could uh, talk to audiences, build interest, all of those things while keeping a full-time desk job. So when I look at your career, I I understand that uh, you had no uh, shortage of stress at your uh, desk job or your day job. Yet you managed to write four books alongside. So if you could do it, that's inspiration for the rest of us, I think, uh, to figure out how to balance our time better and to do part-time instead of directly jumping into full-time. Also, I think when your skill reaches a certain stage, Hmm. you can monetize it only at that point of time. You can't monetize it prematurely because the market will not pay for that. But when you are working, you already have a salary coming in. That's a great time to actually build your skills. I wonder that, is there a right time to quit? Because a lot of people will tell you that Mark Zuckerberg built this behemoth of a company when he started when he was 19. Whereas research actually shows that uh, most successful entrepreneurs, most people actually have worked for a couple of years. So the average age of the successful entrepreneurs who built massive businesses, it's closer to 40, you know, so as, as the rate. Do you think it's a good idea to build your skills in a startup or is it a better idea to build it in a uh, large organization? You know, what would you think works better? Where do people uh, become better prepared uh, to be a gig worker? Uh, The Mark Zuckerberg example is interesting because uh, every time they speak of it, I think it's the exception that proves the rule. Mm. The fact that there are very few Zuckerbergs out there should actually open our eyes to the fact that uh, this is not the norm. Uh, and making him the poster boy for some, something like this <laughs> yeah, is, is possibly going to lead us down the, uh, the down the wrong way. Uh, there's a rule for Mark Zuckerberg, then there's rules for the rest of us. So for the rest of us, um, what I found to be a strong predictor of success, even more important than your ability to be good at art or craft, uh, we have a model back at PEP. Um, uh, the, what is PEP? Uh, the, uh, the company that I run, which works on education for photographers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joseph, Radhik and I, my brother and I, we wrote a model for this uh, that speaks of Uh, three pillars that are required to truly build a strong career as a gig worker uh, in the creative space. Mm -hmm. Uh, These three are art, business and craft. The the ABC of... The ABC of... uh, You name it, right? Uh, You you could literally say the ABC of X and it would actually turn out to be true. So you really have to be good at all three. And the more I spend time talking to entrepreneurs in India, I realize that even more important than your your skill with art and with your your uh, so how do you distinguish craft. between art and craft? Tell me a little more about that. Okay, let me take a step back. Uh, art is to do with your vision, mm-hmm. and craft is to do with the uh, with the skill. work of your hands, right? The, the skills, how you actually put it together. Yeah, the skill, right? So if it's to do with a photograph, uh, art is to do with your uh, the vision of what you're actually approaching this project with or this uh, this particular scene with. It's what you do. Outside of the camera, it's what you do in your mind. That's mm. art. The craft part is what you do with the tool that's given to you. So okay. whether it's a camera for a photographer or a, a paintbrush paint or, or canvas, right? Canvas, yeah. And then apply it to anything else. Sure. Interestingly here, no matter how good you're with art or with craft, it turns out your business is bounded 
by one skill mm-hmm. that not everybody possesses in an equal measure mm-hmm. and uh, that is the skill of dealing with people it is the one thing that can either sink the ship or truly make it swim right and it's it's the thing that's actually holding the the two together unless you want to be uh, an artist who who just wants to be an artist that's totally fine but if you want to be a gig worker if you truly want to build something here so you want to monetize something you need people absolutely yeah so uh, let me let me tell you a little bit about what i mean by people uh and why i think it's a strong predictor for success i found over and over again that it's not the quality of your work it's not your the quality of your work alone it's your ability to work with people to truly uh build relationships to build trust uh everything from negotiation to pricing to to sales to marketing all of this comes back to your ability to work with people and i find that the average uh, 21 or 22 year old let's say mark zagabar the average 19 year old probably doesn't have his or her people skills developed to that extent to be able to work with both people older and younger in a place with fast shifting priorities with lots of uncertainty out there all of this stuff mm. and it takes a few years for you to truly build that attitude to build that people attitude uh, towards the world and uh, maybe i'm slow maybe it took me 8 years at asian brains to do this uh, maybe the next uh, the uh, people on this podcast who are listening to this probably will figure it out in 12 to 24 months but then if you're planning to quit to start your own thing i'd ask you how good you are with this attitude towards people to be able to truly work and build relationships with people uh, i find that the corporate structure that we all take for granted at mm-hmm. a desk job mm. uh, makes us transactional in nature when it comes to people yeah, uh, when you say transactional in a desk job meaning what Uh, let's say i work in uh, uh, marketing and i need to work on a, a a marketing plan for next month to sell uh, 100000 soaps i work mm-hmm. at hul right okay i need to interface with someone in supply chain someone in uh, someone in legal someone here someone someone there uh, all over the place right each of those conversations typically is going to be transactional when you hang up the phone you won't even remember who you spoke to mm-hmm. right uh, but then you get your work done the day you quit and you become independent all of these things come back uh to remind you that uh, it's going to be important to build relationships with every conversation the fact that you and I are talking here right uh the fact that we have built a relationship from one conversation 3 years ago that's right right uh and i'd say that's interesting and that's something that i'd i'd like to build uh further for anyone who wants to quit their job and to become truly independent which which is probably why you know the successful entrepreneurs have built not just the art and craft but also the people skills the soft skills and they have actually been able to uh, you know build those relationships beyond transactions which brings me to another very important dimension um we were talking about this mindset that what do people really need to know one day before they quit and one of the big pieces of advice um you know when people uh, think about it is to think about money and a lot of people said somebody said oh you need to have money for 6 months in the bank so you don't touch your savings and somebody said 2 years you know so you know when you think about that uh, that's a lot of money in the bank before you decide <laughs> to quit <laughs> yeah so um so art and craft seems to be less important than money is that true no probably not but uh, money is important and mm. I, i tell you from my lived experience uh, how i've seen this actually uh, come true um there is a lot of advice out there when it comes to money and if you were to do a quick google search as to how much money you need to save up before you quit you'd be completely confused by the time you reach the end of the page uh, uh but i think what i have found to be true is that it's not as much about the money in the bank as it is your attitude towards money 
Hmm. Right. And what I mean by this is that uh, if you're someone who's deriving a lot of comfort from the amount of money in the bank, uh, that's some, that's an attitude that you need to question right away. Because okay. uh, uh, in a salary job where money's coming in on a monthly basis, building up savings is a far easier job. Because it's predictable. It's predictable. So then you build a life around this. You build a life around the idea of predictability. You build life goals, financial goals, travel plans, dependence, all of that stuff around this idea that money is dependable, money is certain, money has a certain flow. Hmm. When you quit and when you actually become a gig worker, that's when you realize that money is actually uncertain. The world has no guarantees with regard to money. So if you had 12 to 24 months before you quit, or let's say this is the evening you're deciding to quit and you queued up this podcast with your favorite uh, cup of tea, this is my advice to you. I'd ask you to question your attitude towards money. Where does your comfort come from? Where does your strength come from? Does it come from looking at that uh, SMS that your bank sends you with regard to the amount of money that you have in the bank mm-hmm. uh, or does it come from some other sources? Uh, how okay are you going to be with having an uncertain spotty sort of uh, uh, income flow? How okay are you going to be with going three months without getting paid for something? Right? And this attitude towards money truly predicts what you're going to be able to do with the next 24 months of your life. Right. And uh, I'd ask you for your opinion about this because you too have seen uh, absolutely stable career and what you're doing now is pretty much unstable by those standards. So sure. uh, what do you think about this? I, I think, you know, I would say it depends on two things that you have to look at. One is money, of course, you know, does money, um, that predictability, what does that do, which you spoke about, uh, and that's absolutely spot on. I would say that it's also about, uh, you know, the way that you view time. Because when you go into work, everything is predetermined for you. You, you. you work a certain number of hours, you know, you go in at a certain time, you leave at a certain time. But when you're on your own, that is also unpredictable. So what do you do with your downtime? A lot of people kind of think that, oh my God, it's a waste of my time. It's actually the most productive time because you're polishing your craft, you're learning new things, you're reinventing yourself, you're really thinking about the future. So that downtime where you are not actually working and delivering something is, um, you know, very important to go through because there are times when you get a lot of work. So how are you going to deliver it? If you haven't planned for it ahead of time, you'll miss deadlines and that's going to impact your reputation. So I would say my takeaway is, you know, I would say two things, the way that money scares you or it motivates you, or it's just a measure of success or failure. In the same way, the way that you view time, your productive time, as well as your downtime, you need to think about it. Because that's the other myth. I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, as a uh, as an employee, you can switch off your email and just put an out-of-office message when you leave. Do you, Can you do it now when you're a gig worker? What do you say? Or do you only have working holidays? How does it work for you? Spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> 365 days a year. <laughs> Uh, seven days a week, 24 hours. In fact, I think when you do uh, uh, cross-Atlantic uh, travel, it's actually 27 hours a day because you're working from the On previous both time, zones. both time zones, right? So yeah. there is no respite. And uh, I don't see say that as a bad thing. That's actually uh, pretty interesting. It's an interesting way to live. But then you have to be geared up for it. You have to gear up for the idea that you do not have downtime. Hmm. Uh, all the minutes that you have in the year are to be spent in a profitable manner. So I was thinking about this on the way in. Uh Uh, I was wondering uh, what else I would tell people, uh, even more important than money, if somebody were to quit today and, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, or let's say they were planning to quit in 12 months, uh, what would I ask them to think about? 
and this idea of being permissionless came to me uh, meaning um, uh, when i say permissionless it is uh, uh, everybody believes that entrepreneurs are uh, uh, risk takers they've gone out and they started a company but the starting the company is just the first of many things that you need to start right the average successful interesting entrepreneur is actually starting several things on a daily basis right mm. they're either starting or stopping or doing something else they're taking truly independent decisions and uh, one of the skills that i i would wish that our listeners would hone before they stepped out is to figure out how to build this attitude while still being at a desk job in the last 12 months what are the five things that you have done which your boss has not asked you to do which your team has not demanded of you which your role has not pressured you to get into right have you truly managed to create five new things with the resources at hand with the time that's given to you if you tell me that you did i would say you know you're in a far better position to actually start something because as much as it is about your attitude towards the uncertainty of money it's also to uh, to do with your attitude towards your ability to start something with pretty much zero resources yeah. when all you have is your time and your mind with you right and uh, tell me if that's true because uh, you too had uh, desk jobs and you were, you were creating something on the side and i take that away as an example from your life uh, that is you didn't wait for someone to give you permission to write a book you didn't wait for someone to give you permission to start sketching or to do sketch notes or to work on your art and your craft right so does it make sense yeah yeah it does because you know i think uh, one attitude that i've always had is that you try many different things you know the podcast for example is a uh, is an idea that i had that i should you know learn about this new medium and try to reinvent myself and so i take this as a challenge that you know can i learn about this thing so at any given point of time i would have uh, you know multiple projects you know different books that i'm thinking of so that's one way in which you are constantly doing something without either waiting for a roi because in, that's the other difference i would say you know joshua in your work you don't do anything which doesn't have an roi it either you know gives you a promotion or it gives you an increment or you, you know somebody gives you a, a thank you note or something but in the gig work you actually do a number of things which have no immediate roi you do it because you enjoy doing it so, so there's a kind of a, a side gigs your gig actually has multiple little fires burning so if you take the visual of uh, you know and during diwali you light up many of these firecrackers you put a couple of them in a row and you light many of them some of them don't fire and some of them really shine bright so think about the gig as a number of different things so gig is not one thing that you are doing it's actually many different fires that you need to light so one of them is going to really take off yeah. um, which is a big you know you talked about this whole thing of money which I really got intrigued by because one big question that I grappled with a lot is how do you decide what to charge <laughs> because you know there is always this fear that um am I undercharging am I overcharging is the market going to pay for that and uh, you know because a lot of times people will say that oh when you do this and I've heard this from a number of gig workers so they'll say you go and you know you want to sell a piece of work or your time or whatever you're doing and then the buyer is going to say but you know what you are asking for i could get that done in half the time or half the cost yeah so why should i pay you x amount of money how do you view what is the tip that you have to you know think about money so uh, we're talking about actually pricing for your work right yeah. so how do you actually price something how do you decide uh, how much your time is worth how much do you decide to charge because the a buyer will often say this costs you 
you know, X amount of money and so keep a 5% profit, 10% profit and then that's the money. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, how amazing would it be if you could walk into a car showroom and tell Maruti that, you know, I think your car is worth 100 bucks and I think you should have 5% margin. I think Maruti would laugh you right out of that showroom, right? But apparently, it's um, it's accepted wisdom to do this for service providers who are gig workers. Why? Why is that? Uh, so let's 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 try and uh, try and deconstruct this a bit. Okay. I think uh, when you start talking about pricing and charges, the first thing that should come to your mind is the idea of cost. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think uh, that's that's a very simple word. It has four letters, but it's a it's a bit of a mysterious beast because. Uh, uh, a lot of people that I know, a lot of great friends uh, who are really good, great experience, great education, all that stuff. When you get out there and become a gig worker, you don't want to stare the beast in the face. You don't want to truly figure out how much your service costs. Right. Uh, a lot of people have not truly accounted for every uh, minute that they spend on a project. They haven't actually looked at the cost of resources. And I think uh, the cost of resources is actually quite low in India and it should go up we should be paying people more because then you should also get paid more as a yeah, as a yeah. as, as talent, right? Uh, how to price talent and actually truly move that up. The cost of servicing, the cost of delivery, the cost of acquisition of customers. Your travel time when you go to a place because somebody says, oh, you're doing this for just like one hour, uh, you know. Yeah. But you're spending the full day. You can't then, you know, monetize the rest of the 23 hours by selling somebody else that. Yeah. So when you actually truly total up uh, costs, you realize that you're actually spending far more than you are charging for. Where does this uncertainty truly come from? So Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a couple of areas. One, that uh, yes, we're not comfortable with truly looking at cost in the face. Uh, And if we were to build that attitude to be fearless in terms of questioning how much something truly costs us, we would have a far better sense of how much we should be charging for it. That's one. Second is uh, people who start out part-time, and we spoke about it earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and we are advocating for the idea to actually start part-time and then become full-time. When you have a full-time salary coming in uh, uh, and you're trying to do something on the side, your full-time salary pays for your entire year. It pays for your vacations, it pays for your downtime, it pays for everything. In that scenario, if you're trying to do a part-time gig and then you as a customer come to me and you tell me, why 100 bucks? I'll pay you only 50 bucks. I think people feel truly generous. That's when they say, why 50? I'll do it for 10. <laughs> right? Because they're like... Uh, I just heard this uh, earlier in the day today uh, from someone in the team. They said, uh, any client is a good client. I actually got a client and Mm -hmm. that's success. Mm. Uh, So here, I would say that the attitude that we should be building is one towards profitability. That's not a word that you typically hear in a salaried employee position because what is profit when you're at work, when you're Mm -hmm. getting paid a predictable salary on a monthly basis? You truly build your life around that idea of predictability and you don't question profit. It is only when you step out that you need to question this to truly balance uh, cost versus uh, expense and to truly figure out how much you're ending up with at the end of the day. When you figure this out this way, it's very clear how much you should charge. It's very clear whether you should negotiate, whether you should not. It's super clear whether you should walk away or stay in the negotiation. Right. And, And organizations can actually do a lot to support gig workers as well. Hey, Jenny. Can you find that point that Pankaj Bansal made about this? Yes, this is what Pankaj Bansal from People Strong had to say. My response to gig workers is twofold. One is that we all as corporations need to take responsibility of building safer systems to protect the needs of medical or any other benefits that a typical corporation gives to a full-time worker. That's number one. And number two is we all need to lobby and push the government 
to bring in further reforms to take care of the gig workers so they just feel like any other regular worker. So if we do these two things, we will be able to build systems like paying hourly payroll or taking care of an individual whenever they need those systems we need to put in place. Thanks, Jeannie. Now let's get back to the show. Uh, I've got a challenge. Uh, so I'm going to throw out a challenge to listeners in this podcast. If you're still here, if you're listening to us, here's something interesting. Uh, there's a profitability challenge for you here. If you haven't quit your job yet and you've started working on a gig, could you give yourself six months where you don't touch your salary and you live your life with only the money that comes in from your gigs? If you were to try this exercise out, you would truly figure out whether what you're charging is enough for you to survive, whether what you're charging is truly enough for you to sustain yourself, for you to grow and to become independent and free. And take your vacations and, you know, someone pays for your sick leave, medication, all of that. The challenge says that you don't change your lifestyle. If you watch two movies a month and you have one vacation every six months, can your gig pay uh, for that? Pay for that even before you quit, right? If you're able to prove this to yourself in the six months before you quit, I think you're in such an amazing place to, to truly quit and say, I'm done. I can do this. I figured this out, right? Uh, because this lesson is super harsh to learn when you're actually on the outside and there is no uh, ongoing salary that's coming. Yeah, so that's a profitability challenge uh, with regard to pricing. A lot of, uh, you know, uh, people say that in the Indian uh, mythology, they say that, Lakshmi and Saraswati, they don't actually go together. And what you're saying is actually the other way around, that, you know, without uh, ensuring that uh, the the gig uh, is going to be profitable, don't think of quitting because you'll be miserable. Then you are not going to do something that you love. You are actually going to be miserable. Is that a good takeaway? So I said this on Instagram. Uh, I have a small, uh, very focused group of people who follow me there. Uh, millions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a focused group of few million people who follow uh, him on Instagram. Yeah, I, go ahead. <laughs> what, what does this focus group say? No, so it's it's, it's interesting. Um, I have a lot of artist friends who truly mm -hmm. uh, quit their jobs, uh, uh, computer scientists, architects, and so on, who truly quit their jobs to pursue uh, their passion to truly follow art. Mm -hmm. And when I start talking about conservatism when it comes to profitability, uh, it rankles people. Uh, it actually rubs people the wrong way because uh, we are supposed to advocate for truly getting out there, discovering yourself, pursuing your passion, uh, giving the world your art, showcasing the world, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Amazing ideals. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm all in for that. Right. Uh, I work in a creative space where uh, we revere photography. It's it's truly something that we treasure, we respect it. But at the same time, uh, I'm of the mindset that you also need to respect your your life, your lifestyle, your dependents, your future, all of that stuff. So I'm asking for a balancing act. Uh, Lakshmi and Saraswati should ideally get on a tightrope and help us see <laughs> that it can be balanced. Right. It's not one or the other. And it's not one after the other. Yeah. Is there a way to truly get them to walk on the tightrope? Sim simultaneously. So it's a little bit like what you said in the beginning that, you know, that B of business actually balances the art and craft. You know, so B is that fulcrum, which without that, you know, it would fall flat, literally, quite literally so. But you talked about being on Instagram with those, uh, you know, a couple of small group of a few million people who follow you. Uh, is that the best way to get discovered? Because, you know, the other challenge that, uh, I see, at least it was in my mind, how would people know what I do? You know, 
how would I get discovered? Should I be all out there? Should I build a website? Uh, should I go on Instagram? Which is the best place to be on? You know, if you had to choose a platform, uh, is there one that you recommend? How does one get discovered? Let's uh, actually take a step back and talk about incentives, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what are the incentives for someone who's at a desk job to truly build an online presence? There is zero incentive, right? Right. Right. So the average uh, employee at a desk job, I, I, don't, I don't know who's out there who's listening to this, but if this is you, um, you've been on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn for a long time and uh, you don't like talking, you don't like communicating with, with, a, with a large audience, uh, you probably have not built that skill of uh, engaging people in conversation online. Right, right. Uh, and you're probably beating yourself up about it. I don't know. Uh, maybe you're looking at all the people with the 100,000 followers and you're like, what's he got that I don't? What's she got that I don't? You know, I I've got all these ideas. I would say that uh, our incentives are misaligned when you're actually in a desk job. There is really no reason for you to do this. There's no reason mm. for you to build. Uh, interesting um, fun fact. Uh, if I were to look up on Instagram today or Twitter, the number of people who say uh, digital brand manager as their uh, job title. Mm -hmm. And I go look at their digital presence mm -hmm. and I find that they have 403 followers. Mm -hmm. uh, follow accounts are not everything. I, I also look at engagement. I look at uh, what kind of uh, posts are going out, whether they're actually having a, a conversation out there with people. I would question whether you know how this space even works. Mm. Because uh, being on LinkedIn, being on Instagram, being on Twitter, being on Facebook is not about ads. It's about actually building this attitude towards communicating with thousands of people at the same time. And we don't have an incentive to do that when you're at a desk job. But the day you quit, it becomes super important. And Because that's your marketing platform. That is the only marketing platform that you have. The, and not even as much about marketing as about a way to build randomness into your uh, in your sales pipeline. Too. Oh, I love that. What is this? Build randomness in your sales pipeline. I let's, love that. Let's say 10 people uh, have worked with you uh, on, uh, uh, through the gig economy. They've actually hired you. 10 people have hired you. Over the next year, you'll only get referrals from the people that these 10 people know. Mm -hmm. But if you were to build an online presence and you had, let's say, 10,000 followers, you give yourself the ability to randomly add, let's say, three new clients, mm. which is going to be invaluable as you go on to build your business. So uh, with regard to getting discovered as a gig worker, I would say if you have time, you haven't quit yet or you're about to quit, you need to question whether you have built the right attitude towards communicating online. And that's not something that comes easy, that, take, that takes years to develop, that takes a certain attitude towards sharing, oversharing, to figure out how to use words to your advantage, to truly build an interesting story, to figure out what people want to hear, all of that stuff. When I look at Abhijit Baduri with 840,000 followers on LinkedIn, I'm pretty sure that you've figured out your mantra towards talking to people and communicating with people online. And if someone were to want to follow in your footstep, I, I would say... Can you build 50,000 followers over the next 12 months? And what would it take to truly get there? Would you say the same? Yeah, I think, you know, for me, I believe that uh, the big reason why it doesn't happen for some people when you see that, I think a, a lot of people would say that, you know, Instagram is about uh, talking about yourself. But it's not. It's not a megaphone. It's actually a way to listen to people. It's a listening tool. How it's a way of uh, conversing with people. It's really like... Um, the digital version of a coffee table chat, you know, between two friends. And you connect only with people or brands or whoever is there on online or an organization with whom you feel you're having 
a real face-to-face conversation. Because think about it, when your customer gets unhappy, what do they do? They post it on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn, wherever they are. If you are not used to responding to that, you are going to find it very difficult to do it when there's a crisis in your business. So I think, yeah, I think that's an invaluable piece of advice you gave that, you know, how do you start building the skill of storytelling? Yeah. You know, as a freelancer, in some sense, you are your own uh, CXO. You know, you are doing your own marketing, your own finance. Uh, and how has technology changed all of that? And do you sort of, you know, use all of that? Are you a paper pen person um, or your combination? How would you describe that? Seven years, uh, two companies in with uh, lots of employees spread across different parts of the world, uh, clients spread across 28 countries now. Uh, I can tell you that life feels like a game of Tetris. Uh, <laughs> you know, the game. it's like a puzzle uh, yeah. where uh, blocks are coming right at your face and you need to slot them in perfectly. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and with each passing year, it doesn't get easier. Um, because there's something new, there's a new complication, there's something, uh, there's an interesting foray, uh, there's an interesting new direction, uh, there's something else to be built. Now, what I found is that uh, your ability to harness technology to to truly uh, manage some of this madness is going to be very critical. And you don't need to go to, let's say, the biggest player in the world, you don't need to get something from Oracle or Salesforce.com or something. I think there's lots of solutions in India Uh, that can truly help you plug in some of these things. Uh, The key idea would be how much visibility can you have of your business? What tools can you use to truly build in visibility of all the key metrics that you require on a daily basis to get a sense of whether you're doing well or not? And if you have software that helps you to do that, that's amazing, right? So that's my take on uh, using technology to simplify my life. Yeah, and and I've, um, you know, also... Um, participated in this fabulous, fabulous uh, workshop that uh, Joshua does. It's called the One Day MBA. And I just did it in Bangalore. And I was truly amazed because, you know, you think, uh, okay, I've been a gig worker uh, for three years. It's gone reasonably okay. And, you know, what is it that he's going to tell me? But it was incredible. Just the way that you taught me to think about the business was a Terrific takeaway. So, you you know, I think that was great. And one of the questions that you asked is what I'm going to sort of ask as we finish the podcast today. If you never, ever, ever, ever had to think about money, what is that one thing you would do to spend your time? This right here. What would you do? To have great conversations with interesting people um, and to help the next hundred entrepreneurs or the next hundred desk jockeys to truly figure out what they want to do and how they can do it better, right? Uh, If I could help in any possible way, uh, I'm here to help. And I I think this is what I would do if I had all the money in the world and all the time in the world to actually do this. Uh, I understand that you're doing this while you have several other things going on. So this is truly not the one thing. And uh, you're taking time out of your schedule to do this. That's really uh, amazing to see because this is going to help a lot of people. Uh, But... uh, as I go forward, if my schedule clears up even more, I'd love to do this even more. Uh, the way I look at it, uh, I think the gig work and quitting your job and doing all this stuff in a lot of ways feels like you've jumped out of a plane with a box uh, which contains pieces of aluminium and you're trying to build a plane on the way down. Right. 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 Uh, and <laughs> you're, you're, trying to, you're trying to not just build it, but also to fly. 
which is yeah. amazing which is which is uh, which is a testament to i guess human ambition it's it's all of that stuff but i'd love for us to figure out how to start building this plane while we are still on the ground even before we have gone up there right uh, so right. all of this stuff that we've spoken about today with regard to all these different attitudes uh, i find that these are not rocket science and uh, these are not things that you're born with these are both things that are simple and these are things that you could actually build on for yourself over your lifetime your timeline might vary your your results and all that stuff your mileage might vary but it is totally doable and i think uh, this is a it's a good space to be whoever's planning to quit and come please come over it's a it's a good place to be uh, thank you very very much joshua it was invaluable and i think there's so many things that cleared up in my mind as i heard you speak about it it was terrific and thank you so much for being here thanks abhijit thank you for listening to this episode of dreamers and unicorns by people strong season 1 of the new code of work series and if you like the show or have any feedback for us please rate and review us on apple podcasts I'm Abhijit Bhaduri and you can find me at Abhijit Bhaduri on LinkedIn as well as Twitter. This show is brought to you by People Strong, Asia's leading work and HR tech company. For more information, visit their website at newcodeofwork.com. Dreamers and Unicorns is a Made in India production. Editorial producers: May Thomas and Sean Phantom. Producer: Sharanya Subramanian. Assistant producer Janam Devan. Sound design and edited by Kartik Kulkarni.